Hi, everyone. Welcome back for another podcast, another EGOs and MRCI session. My name is Rochelle Kernan, and today we have a very special guest. His name is Renee Yonk. He is currently a subsurface advisor, global projects at Apache. And right now he is living uh, near the uh, London in the UK. Hi, Renee. How are you doing? Hi, Rochelle. Uh, I'm great. Thanks. Um, thanks for thanks for having me and have, a, have this opportunity and uh, across a very difficult time zone uh, <laughs> logistics. So, uh, yeah, I'm happy to be here. Great. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, really looking forward to talking to you today. So to get started, um, could you please tell our audience a bit more about yourself? So we're, I know the audience is really interested in hearing about uh, your background and your career through time. So maybe tell us something about your degrees or which jobs that you've had. And then also any goals or passions that you have moving forward in your career. Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks, Michelle. Yeah, my name my name is Renee, Renee Young. Um, uh, maybe a slightly unusual name, but I'm from the Netherlands, so that's where that surname comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, I was born in Holland, um, and um, you know, went to school there, and you know, um, primary, secondary, and university. And the um, so I studied geology in uh, the Free University in Amsterdam. Um, and you know, to be honest, the reason I studied geology is um, um, partly my dad was sort of a hobby geologist, so he kind of lit a little bit of the flame when I was young and you know usually on holidays we'd go collect rocks in Germany and France I would just pick up rocks and then found a fossil one day and then that sort of got me hooked and interested in that so um when I figured out you could study rocks I was like yay that sounds cool mm-hmm. so um went to the free university in Amsterdam um very very much a degree that was very focused on mapping so we did a lot of field-based um endeavors which is you know part of the reason i enjoyed that um so i ended up with a master's there um specializing well you know specializing at that age but specializing in structural geology tectonics um and then ended up going to aberdeen in scotland um i think after i finished my undergrad masters i was i sort of always thought i just want to do research so i was looking for phd programs um and aberdeen had a um a, a phd that sounded really interesting looking at um um, sediment mobilization as features, which was n- not really structural geology and tectonics, but had some some overlap. And when I went over there with the professors and we competed about stuff, it sounded really cool and interesting. So I went to Aberdeen, did my PhD on these sediment mobilization phenomena. Um, and that ended up, a, that was a, a project that was sponsored by industry, oil and gas industry. So there were a number of oil and gas companies that funded that. So that's how I started getting exposed to um, sort of the the real job potential out of out of looking at rocks. Um, so I've worked with a bunch of different companies, really enjoyed, um, you know, when I worked with them, ended up uh, joining um, ExxonMobil. Um, so I work for Exxon and, and now for Apache. So I've, I've basically worked in oil and gas for um, almost 20 years now. Um, across, um, you know, I've been in, based in Houston, in Calgary, um, in London, and, um, worked sort of projects across the globe, um, across the spectrum from what people would consider exploration, future production. 
um, research as well. Mm -hmm. um, probably I spent most of my time on the sort of data poor side of geoscience. Mm -hmm. So when you don't have a lot of information, so exploration is probably where I spent most of my time trying to sort of trying to figure stuff out with um, with limited calibration, which is um, yeah something I really enjoy doing, just mm -hmm. trying to figure out what the subsurface is um, um, with with little pieces of information. So a bit of a detective job that way. Mm -hmm. So I've been doing that, continuing to do that. Um, still very much oil and gas focused, and obviously. Um, you know, looking at other aspects a little bit as well. So I guess, you know, Rochelle, our, our sort of connection came through something I did that was sort of, um, I would say maybe a little bit of a hobby project of mine. I've been looking at sort of um, fluid flow aspects in rocks for a long time. And, you know, with the, the carbon carbon cap capture component of, of, of energy transition and, and sort of kind of the future of, of where we're headed, that was sort of an area that said, well, there's, you know, there's clearly a geoscience component to that. Um, so I've been dabbling with that a little bit, but you know, more more as a hobby than as a uh, as a full time job, and um, that's kind of where I'm at right now um, in terms of you know goals <laughs> goals mm -hmm. for the future. I've I've always um, I've always stayed close to my passion, mm -hmm. so I've you know as, as I progress through, I, I I was never really all that interested in sort of formal managerial type roles mm -hmm. um, that. Anything that took me away from the rocks was sort of, I was just not so passionate about. So I've always stayed close to the technical. So I would probably say going forward, you know, you know, personally, what I would think, you know, selfishly would be the, the, my best career until the day I, I decide to stop it is continuing to look at, you know, subsurface problems from a technical point of view. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, sometimes people say, well, that's not a very ambitious goal, but it's sort of a, well, I, I, I like it. And I'm good at it. So it's sort of uh, usually those two things go together in my experience that things that people are really like enjoy doing, they're really good at it. Mm -hmm. So I'm always sort of like, you know, let people do what they like to do mm -hmm. because they'll be good at it and they'll usually come up with stuff that's, you know, relevant and useful for for a broader group. So that that's sort of my my goal. Sort of a an, another sort of goal that I, I don't know if it's a goal, but what I'd like to do is um you know, I have a passion for this and it was stimulated by, you know, people at an early age. And I'd like to try to, you know, spend a little, I'd like something like this. I don't mind spending a little bit of my spare time to um, teach people, whether they're kids or adults to, you know, explain some of the things that we're doing and what could be enjoyable about doing geology. So I'm, I'm always happy to chat with people that are um, willing to listen, whether they are professionals in the fields or, um, you know, my neighbors or the kids at my, you know, at my own kids' schools. So that that's sort of a, maybe the two goals for me in life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you so much for that. And we really appreciate um, the time that you're spending doing this as well. Um, just because I know you have a big role and it's, you're involved in a lot of different things. Um, so feeding off of a few things that you had said, do you have any advice for graduate students or even undergraduate students that are kind of deciding, well, should I get into the energy industry? Am I going to get stuck just doing petroleum? Or um, do you have any advice for those people who are maybe looking um, outside of petroleum but still want to work in the energy industry as a whole? Um. 
Yeah, I, you know, I, I wouldn't call it advice, but I, I can give you my perspective. Sure. And like with anything, that's it's just one person's perspective. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, what I would recommend, which is what I did when I was studying is, you know, engage with many different people across different backgrounds and different sort of vantage points. And then in the end, you make up your own opinion. You don't have to do something just because somebody tells you to do it. Yeah. But it's useful to get a lot of different perspectives, I think. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that that would be my first sort of piece of advice is don't don't feel like you're um, talk to as many people across as many different aspects of geoscience as you can and, and sort of make your own informed opinion on that. Um, my my view on that um so I'll, I'll give it to you and that it is just my personal perspective is that um i i think there's a serious need for people with geoscience um education mm -hmm. and with that i mean people that really are have an ability to understand the subsurface from you know sparse or less sparse information now you know obviously over the last 40 50 years a lot of places where you can get jobs in that sort of space is in oil and gas and um you know a lot of the technologies um, remotely sensed as a seismic uh, potential fields gravity magnetics um you know how you how you drill wells how you get information from well bores how you get information from rocks you know and analytical data a lot of that has been developed in sort of collaboration between academia and oil industry. I think that's been a very strong collaboration. Mm -hmm. um, and for me personally, that was, you know, part of what exposed me beyond just the hobby of a rock to, oh, I can actually do something with that, that, you know, gives me a career, gives me enjoyment and does something that I think is meaningful. So I think um, if you have a passion in that sort of arena, I, to me, it doesn't really, um, I, I wouldn't get too hung up on whether that takes you into a job in a traditional oil and gas company in a company that looks at sort of subsurface storage such as carbon looks at um you know things like hydrogen storage for uh, seasonal attributes whether you look at construction um you know onshore offshore like wind farms and things like that um mining you know all these things i think that i think a positive thing is all that stuff is going to be around it's going to stick around for a long time mm -hmm. as you know, you know, we transition into, uh, you know, a different mode of, of, of where we drive our energy from and how we use, utilize the planet's resources. But that, uh, to me, that doesn't really translate into a transition of skill set. So I think that to me is the main thing is that that basic skill set and ability to um, understand the subsurface from remotely sensed data, sparsely sampled data to come up with the, the models and the, and the manners in which you you evaluate the subsurface for all these these different attributes is, is is key. So, for me, I would I would I would if I was an undergrad student, I would probably I would say take comfort in the fact that there there will be careers for you. Um, if you enjoy what you're doing, you will have a career that will lead you down something that you're passionate about. Mm -hmm. um, personally, I wouldn't get. I know I know there's you know worry about certain career paths and. You know, at the moment, you know, in, in the end, you, you are looking for a job at some point. So you, you do have to sort of follow the market a little bit. But um, I, I personally think, you know, maybe a fairly optimistic guy in that sense. But um, I think there's a lot of tr transferable skills. At least I've observed that already with mm -hmm. some of the things that I've I've been exposed to that um, that, you know, 
yeah, there, there's a few other skill sets you need to pick up. But if, if you're if you're a good technical person that that is a good geoscientist, um, and that comes from you know starts with your training in undergrad, and then you hone that skill in whatever job you you decide to pursue, um, you'll have a career for life, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and I'd actually think it's almost the up. I think there's going to be more need for that sort of geoscience skill set in the future than that even we see now. Mm -hmm. So, but it's in a period where there's a little bit of, um, I do notice pe people in universities find it hard to articulate where, where this is headed and that, that does create, you know, difficulty in graduate programs, mm -hmm. in attracting students, in, um, you know, getting the funding um, to run these programs. But um, I, I see, you know, I see geoscience as, you know, highly critical for the future of the planet. Um, and therefore you need geoscientists. So for me, it's, if, if you have a passion in that subject matter, I, I, I would hate to think people stop pursuing that passion because they're worried about a job. So hopefully from my perspective, I, I don't think you have to have that worry. Mm -hmm. And again, I think if you're, if you're studying something you're interested in, I, I wouldn't um, personally be too pigeonholed and I have to do this part of the energy. I shouldn't be affiliated with this other thing. And I think, you know, we all have to work together. And I think, you know, and you probably noticed too, Rochelle, like when you get into this world of geoscience, it's a, it's a small and very passionate world. You know, I have connections worldwide that I've built up over the years and you run into each other again and again, mm -hmm. and you build other networks through that. And the thing you share is, is the passion. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I always enjoy catching up with people that share that passion, whether I know them or not, and whether they transition into other segments and other fields of, of study and business, you always run into each other again. So it's, um, I, I really enjoy the, you know, that global geoscience network that is fairly, fairly close knit in, in, in my view. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of people that I know worldwide that you're never too far removed from a connection. Mm -hmm. Um, so that that's a very long way of maybe saying, um, you know, study what you're passionate about. If you're passionate about geoscience and study it. And I think if you're, and if, if you're passionate about it, you'll be good at it. And I, I wouldn't be too worried about, um, whether you'll find a job and, and where you find a job. Um, and I, I think a lot of these skills are fairly transferable more so than, than we appreciate. And more so, I think that I, I think a lot of people will realize that, Oh, we, mm -hmm. we need, we need these skill sets because um, the, the problems are still there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you for that. That was great. I think that there's a lot that you had said that can help nearly anyone who listens to this. So I really appreciate everything that you had said. Shifting more a little bit to CCUS. So where you sit currently in your role as being a global subsurface advisor, can you tell our audience or comment a little bit on um, maybe some CCUS projects um, going on in the basins that you're working in from maybe like a competitive um, intelligence perspective or things that have been more mainstream, what is the current trends that you're starting to see right now or things that you anticipate seeing going forward? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm happy to comment on that because, um, so, you know, my, my perspective is a bit of an outsider's perspective. You know, I, I don't, um, you know, I don't work on CCCUS projects. 
mm-hmm. um, and 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 you know, to be fair, I've I've only more recently started sort of looking into that space as as other people that I again people in my network that I know is like oh, I'm looking at this stuff. It's like oh, that's interesting. What what you know what what are the geoscience problems that you know? Why would they have a geoscientist working this? Um, you know, if um, if I if you don't mind me asking, so. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think CCUS is a really int- I think that's a really interesting arena of um, of work. It's you know it's it comes with a few things. So you know, focusing again on the rocks and the subsurface. You know, from my what little I've done with that, um, I, I have no. You know, my perspective is that they need the skill sets, and I think companies are realizing that they need the skill sets. So um, the entities that are starting to you know. Um, look at that and that that can be companies that are getting into this business that are solely specialized into that that don't come from a heritage oil and gas background mm-hmm. but obviously it includes a lot of oil and gas companies because um, you know a lot of the data sets the skill sets the, the manners in which you deal with this require subsurface understanding that comes from that so you you see the space of companies that are starting to get into this that are not maybe traditionally affiliated with sedimentary basin analysis, mm-hmm. um, but realize that they need those skills, so they'll be looking for it, as well as oil and gas companies that maybe have a little bit more at their fingertips um, the articulation of what they need, and they can either you know have that internally. They they have people with skill sets that they can sort of mold into that. But I think they are looking a lot at people coming out of universities that maybe. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've looked at a few things that are a little bit um, specific to the to the CTS arena. So, you, you know, looking at this, it's it's an interesting thing because it's 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 something that is is really going to be necessary if um, you know if the world wants to reach its climate targets that it set out in the Paris Agreement. That's that's abundantly obvious. So it's like, well, this is we want to make this work. Mm-hmm. Um, as we get through this transition to, you know, not not deal with global warming that is going to get to disastrous levels, so this needs to happen. It needs to happen relatively fast, and it needs to happen at rates that far exceed the projects that are currently mm-hmm. um, being sanctioned. Yeah. So it's going to be a, a a business that's going to grow. Mm-hmm. So, um, so they, they need they need they need people. And then when you look at it, uh, it's kind of interesting, you know, initially, I, I, you know, I would talk to a few people and they would say, I'm kind of focused mostly on the North Sea because that's sort of mm-hmm. an area that I've historically have worked a lot. And I know a lot of my connections are working in that arena. Mm-hmm. So again, I, I don't work CCUS in the North Sea, but, um, you know, I've, I've read a lot about it and I've, I've you know talked about it. So, you know, I, I come from a background, I've done a lot of basin modeling work and looking at flow and retention of Immiscible fluids, which CO two is as well, um, just like oil and gas. So there is there is some similarity there. And so I talk to people. So well, what do you guys do? And it's it's interesting that in order to make this work, I think you have to look at a, a number of different things. So there are places where they're looking at, you know, injecting CO two in saline aquifers, where mm-hmm. perhaps you don't, you know, people traditionally in in basin analysis think of, of traps in a very conventional sort of structural sense. But there is ne- not necessarily an obvious trap. So then you go like, well, okay, what what happens to this once I stop injecting? And we're looking at the you know hundred thousand year time frame that you want to you know you want to make sure that this this CO two doesn't mm-hmm. you know doesn't come back to the surface again because then it's sort of like, well, I probably haven't created a disaster, but I really haven't helped the problem yeah. at all either. Yeah. Um, 
And then you realize that, you know, initially it's like, well, we kind of know this reservoir pretty well. It's so similar as in oil and gas, you drill one well and you say, oh yeah, you know, I've got some sand, I can take some core, I can measure the porosity, I can measure permeability, I can measure whatever property I want. And then you, you build a model and usually a model is fairly um, mm-hmm. um, unimaginary, fairly homogenous looking. And, and if you've ever been to outcrops, you know that that's just not how the subsurface looks. You know, rocks are incredibly complex. Um, and then when they start monitoring these things, they realize, okay, this this stuff is more complicated. We need we need we need a better understanding. And then you quickly get into people that, okay, we need geologists. We need people that can characterize reservoirs. We need people that can understand ceiling attributes. We need you know we need people that can tell us something more about. CO2 as a fluid in terms of the differences between that and oil and gas. And that's sort of where I've been dabbling a little bit, sort of on my spare time is like, okay, I know oil and gas, I, I understand the sort of the forces and, and, and what causes flow and, and, and tension and pressure in those types of systems. What's, what's different about CO2? So I think that's one of those things that if you are in graduate school now, and this is an arena that you're interested in, it's like, okay, there's a lot of good old stuff you need to know how to do. But the, the add-on is, okay, CO2 is a little bit of a different beast in mm-hmm. some ways. So if you can if you can learn more about the, the fluid side of the story, not just a rock, but the fluid, how it interacts with water, um, you'll be in a better place to, you know, provide informed decisions in there. So there's people that look at that sort of saline aquifer, but in order to get to these sort of volumes that we need, you know, they're also looking at what I would call virgin traps. So conventional traps, but they've never seen hydrocarbons. Yep. So they're... Um, be, you know, because of migrate, that's the first thing that's also an interesting thing you have to tackle is like, well, this is this virgin trap empty because there's a seal problem, in which case it's not a good place to go and store CO2. Mm-hmm. Or is it because it never received any charts, but I feel perfectly reasonable that there could be a trap here. Um, so there's an analysis at a broader scale that a geoscientist needs to help with. Um, and then I think a lot of it will be looking at the reservoir, but also the seal attributes of like, well, how, what type of rocks do I like as a seal? You know, salt, salt's great, mm-hmm. you know, as, as, as a lover of, of, of salt yourself, <laughs> uh, that's a great seal, but it comes with other issues. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, one of the big issues with salt is, you know, the ability to, to monitor um, and characterize what's below the salt. Yeah. Right. So it's it's more difficult from a 4D imaging. It's more difficult for reservoir accreditation. But that doesn't mean to say that those are not good places you can look. So it, it's sort of like if, if those are the things you're looking at, then you need certain people that are really good at you know seismic imaging, seismic mm-hmm. processing, mapping things where the data is maybe not as clear. And then you get you know the other side is is the depleted fields where people go and say. Okay, we 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 were in a place where hydrocarbons were retained, we've produced them, or at least some amount of them. Um, that might be a, a place to consider as well, and and that comes with other challenges, and that that's, those are challenges to do with you know how the fluids has altered due to reservoir depletion, mm-hmm. and the fact that you're dealing with heritage well bores and well bore integrity type issues, but all of those are, are things that you scientists need to work at. So even across that that huge arena that people call CCUCUS, you say well as there's a host of different ways that we can um, we can tackle this problem. Each come with different skill sets and different things that you have to figure out. So um, it's been kind of interesting in the North Sea to see how different companies operate across these different um, types of storage sites. Um, um, and you know, if people are interested, there's there's a lot of published data out in the North Sea. is a great place because um, 
you know, across you know the Netherlands and Norway and the UK and Denmark, they they maintain very good open source access to their data, so it's easy to 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 find stuff and there's there's a lot of published material. So I think it's a really nice area to study. And obviously, for people in that part of the world, if you study geoscience, that is definitely something I think. Um, um, you know, there's people in in companies that are transitioning into those roles. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've got friends that that you know worked oil and gas and now they're transitioning because they, they, internally the company realizes they need the skills but they're they're also looking to hire people so if, i think if you're if you're studying you know geoscience based and analysis type things um you know the cccs component of that is, is is definitely an interesting one to just you know see if you can i wouldn't say specialize necessarily but if if, if there's projects you can do with that or internal um, work at a university affiliated with that, that, um, that I think is, 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 is a useful arena, you know, amongst loads of other things. So that, 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 that's, that's fairly specific, but yeah, you know, I was at a conference in London a couple of weeks ago and I, I gave a talk and there were a lot of talks, but you do, you do realize that when you start digging into it a little bit, there's a lot of stuff that, um, we don't know. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of stuff that actually, when you look around the room, you go like, Oh, we don't have a lot of people that have expertise in this particular part of of doing this. And yeah. you know, in my case, it was the this idea of like, well, how do you characterize ceiling faces from limited information? Mm-hmm. How do you even go about? Do you, you do you give up because you say, well, it's so complex, and I need thousands of samples? And you say, no, 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 we we've, we've been doing this in oil and gas for a long time, quite successfully, methodically, you know, using certain methods. And then you talk about the methods. Um, of stratigraphic analysis in my case and you realize you look around the room and you get you get some blank stares by a lot of blank stares and then you realize hey, hey my bodies that i used to do this with well they're either retired yeah. or you know they've gone off doing something else so you realize that the um that the, the pool of people that know how to do this is um is limited mm-hmm. which you know is uh, a worry and it's a shame, but it's also an opportunity. So it's yeah. also a place where I think people, if they're willing to learn about this stuff, um, you know, can get in. And, you know, if, if you can find the right programs and mentors out there, and, you know, hopefully there's, you know, geosciences and education is, is having a tough time. But thankfully, there are still, you know, universities and programs out there that do a good job. And, um, and I think the one other thing on that that I'll say to people is that we are a community that is fairly close-knit. Um, mm-hmm. You are always allowed to reach out to people outside of your university program, mm-hmm. outside of your sphere of people you know, into people that work in other industries, you know, just because you say, well, I'm going to do CCUS. You know what? There might be people on the mining side that can tell you an awful lot about um, remote sensing and, and, and sampling and description of stuff. So I, I think the key is to, you know, you know, if if you if you're getting into the geoscience world, this, you, you'll find that this a global network of people that you know we all share basic passions, which is kind of most of us collected rocks or fossils. <laughs> so yeah, it all we started. Or had some weird, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's how it all started. started the same passions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, no, that, that was... creates that creates a network and something easy to talk about. So I think yeah. that's another thing I would say to people: is like, don't be afraid to reach out globally mm. to people that you say oh this person sounds like they're interesting 
most of the time, if you contact them, they're going to be um, mm -hmm. a positive recipient of your contact and not going to be like, ah, no, 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 I'm too bad. Usually they're like, oh, that's really cool. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you something or I'll point you to somebody else that I think could be useful for you. So I would, I would encourage people to use that global geoscience network, especially this day and age. I think they've all gotten pretty good yeah. during the pandemic. At, yep. Um, you know, this sort of stuff, remote working, that mm -hmm. even, you know, though I can't meet with you physically, um, you know, I'd love to at some point, but that doesn't stop us from having a, a meaningful engagement. Yeah, yeah, no, that was great. Yeah, you said a few things that really, like, struck a chord with me. The first thing is that I feel like going forward, the most successful companies and teams uh, in terms of their ability to store carbon in the subsurface, I feel like is going to come from a mixed crowd. So it's going to be those people who are oil and gas background, but are passionate about learning something new and applying their skills and thinking outside of the box. And they aren't necessarily going to be established experts because they have that oil and gas background, but they can still bring things to the table that are super valuable and useful. And just how limited the pool of CCS experts are. I mean, for me, just even um, staffing or finding people to talk to for this podcast, like I'm, I've engaged with global experts, but that field is, you know, it's remained really small for a long time up until now. So yeah, yeah. there's like, only so many people, a few in the North American continent and one here in Australia. <laughs> there's probably a handful of people in, in Europe that are experts and there's probably some regions that there are no real, like what you would consider a traditional expert. So yeah, I think it's going to be engaging. I really agree with you on that. The experts, but also recognizing that there aren't a lot of them to go around. And I think that's one of the big passions behind doing this and talking to people is recognizing that and that we're going to have to work together going forward and we're going to have to be open and willing to bring in people who are new to this um, in order to to effectively do it and do it at a time scale that is actually meaningful and will work to meet those climate goals so yeah I really appreciate that and thank you so much for saying that um, and then the other part that you said about reaching out to your network, I think it's, I, I think sometimes people maybe underestimate how powerful that can be. Like just randomly yeah. sending um, people's messages through LinkedIn, like they post something that inspires them and then you reach out or send them a message or even how I met you through a mutual friend. I mean, she told me right away, she's like, oh, you know, you should get in touch with him. He'd be a great person. So I think I can't emphasize enough how important it is to keep up that network and to continue to find new people because you, you never know what opportunities you can create together and things like that. So yeah, thank you so much for that. Um, I guess the last thing I wanted to ask you, it's a little bit more of a philosophical question, but do you think honestly that going forward we're going to be able to to meet those goals that are set out by the Paris Climate Agreement? I mean, being realistic and, and trying to keep our, you know, our temperatures, you know, less or at 1.5 degrees C, do you think we're going to actually be able to achieve that in a meaningful way going forward? 
Yeah, that's 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 an excellent question, you know, and it's it's a loaded question. It um, is. <laughs> but but no, no, but that's not a bad thing because you have to talk about this stuff. Um, yeah. Because it comes with a lot of you know emotion and, and sort of thought. So you know, if, if short answer to can we achieve it? I would say absolutely yes. Mm-hmm. Um, the question, the slightly different one is, will we achieve it? It's like, well, that depends. Yeah. Um, in terms of the first part, can we achieve it? You know, I'm, I would say absolutely yes. Um, if I, you know, if I, if I see, you know, and this, this goes way beyond just CCU, CUS, right? So if you say, okay, we want to, we want to limit the amount of, of greenhouse gases of which CO2 is the main one by, by a certain amount that, um, based on our modeling, will will we'll stay as within a temperature range that um, you know is um, acceptable. You know, it, it, you you know, at the present day, clearly the the planet's heating and it's been heating for a while because of and that's because of CO two emissions by us. And you know, we all read the news and we, and we can all look at the annual temperature changes and it's it it is rising. It's it's associated with climatic events that are um, disastrous um, can can we keep it to a point where um, you know it's not going to get worse I, I think I think we can mm-hmm. um, if I look at the you know the you know the, the, the co2 part of it the, the sequestration part of that makes this is an is is, is a difficult it's, it's one that people quote as that's difficult because the projects are not getting to the level of storage that is going to be needed, mm-hmm. um, not just in the UK, but in other countries. And then obviously there's a lot of places where um, we're just not very well set up to do this logistically. Um, but, you know, we can, I, I think there is, there is enough know-how out there and there's enough uh, subservice places. And I would say, um, I feel comfortable that you know, we, we understand the subservice well enough, we understand the processes, we understand how to monitor this, that we can do this, you know, you know, the first concern is, can you do it safely? Mm-hmm. Um, yes, we can. Um, if, you know, if, if you, if you adhere to certain safety regulations and measurements, just like with anything, stuff goes wrong when people don't adhere to that. And if you do, we, we, we can do it safely. Um, the other the next thing is, well, can you do it without it getting back into the atmosphere at some point in the future, whether that's a hundred year or a thousand year? Um, and again, I say, yes, we can, um, but that's required, that requires a certain level of monitoring and ability to intervene if you say, well, this is not really the way it should be going um, in, the, in terms of whether the department goes in the subservice. You know, that's not going to be a disaster, but that's going to be something, well, you know, we're defying the point if all we do is pump something in and it comes back out. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, we didn't create a disaster, but we didn't help the problem either. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think we can. There's enough places that I think they're starting to figure out the logistics of it. The because obviously there's you know yeah I can put it in the underground, but I need to I need to connect up emitters, sources of emission with sources of infrastructure pipeline to to get it to these places. Mm-hmm. And I think we're starting to see that. Will we achieve that? A lot of that depends on, um, you know, the, the whole the whole sort of mix of of governments, yeah. um, industry, academia working together to achieve that. And then I would say, lastly, but most importantly, the public. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if 
if the public feels that this is not something that they feel comfortable with, then it's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, and that's mm-hmm. just the way, that's just the world. And I think that's the right thing to do. So I think, can we achieve it? I'd say yes. And I, I see on, on the technical side, I feel very optimistic about, yeah, yeah we, we know, we have enough know-how, even though we're, you know, we're lacking some experts, we're lacking some experience. It's a field that's still fairly novel to most of us. There, there's mm-hmm. some practitioners who have been doing this for, you know, a long time. So they are out there. So we, and there's enough published that you can read and go like, okay, there, there is, there is, there is enough know-how out there that we, we can do it. We need to train people. We need to bring in new people from, from that. Mm-hmm. So that works on the, on the government side. I think I can't speak for every government in the world, but at least in what I see in the UK, they're, they're definitely very, um, they want to make this work and they're facilitating it to make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, that side, we can make it too. For me, the, the, the key one is, is the public is to, to educate people in terms yeah. of, you know, what it is that we, and, and geoscience is a big part of that. What, what do we do in, in the underground, which uh-huh. is sort of like, because a lot of people is sort of like, well, that's sort of black magic. How do you know mm-hmm. what's going on beneath the surface? Yeah. Um, so there's this, there's, there's sometimes an, an inherent distrust of that. Mm-hmm. And not just because of CCUS, but with mining, with oil and gas, with, with all aspects that involve um, going after the subsurface. So yeah. um, I, I think that, that public outreach is important. And that can be facilitated by our global network of geoscientists. Like, you know, for me, it's like, I should be able to talk to my mom and my brother and my sister mm-hmm. and, you know, and people might say, well, that doesn't, you know, that that's small, but at least, you know, that's, I can sort of trickle, trickle through them and then I trickle through some others. Yeah. So I think if, if you're a geoscientist, I, I think you ought to think about your role as, you know, as a human being on this planet to take your expertise and educate people. Um, you know, the key is, my dad was a teacher always said you know renee you should be able to explain what it is you do i don't care if you have a phd or advanced degrees you should yep. still be able to explain what you do to anyone that is <laughs> and yet only one caveat that is willing to listen mm-hmm. i think and i think that's the key is yeah. that i i don't care what your iq or educational background is if, if you're willing to listen i should be able to explain what it is that i do mm-hmm. and then i should be willing to listen to hear what your um your interpretation of what I say to you is. So it's, yeah. it's always a two-way street. It's mm-hmm. like, I got to listen to you and you got to listen to me. But I, I think that's that, that that public outreach is, is very important. And that needs, you know, obviously that can happen in an efficient way through people associated with affiliations that can go target large audience, either orally or through things that they, they post, videos, information. And then, you know, point the, the public to the right place. And if they're willing to listen and willing to, educator i think i feel comfortable that you end up in a place where people are uh, more comfortable than uncomfortable with it mm-hmm. um as long as they're willing to listen and uh, you know that's yeah and so th- this is an emotional thing right so mm-hmm. it, it does be sometimes you know we all including myself sometimes get heated and we you know, ah, you, know, you, <laughs> yeah. you have your moments of that yeah sort of like ah, i can't talk to you <laughs> and, and likewise um you just have to sort of get yourself over that personal little moment of um you know, agitation and despair. We're all humans subject to human emotion. But um, I, I think that's the hard, that, that to me is the hardest part in terms of will we achieve it. And that, that requires a willingness of people that are experts in the subject matter, whether they are in government, whether they are in academia, whether they are in um, the, the specific industry associated with the problem, or they're associated with industries that know a lot about um, 
articulating this the problem and the solutions mm -hmm. uh, that that engagement has has to happen again I, I, it happens but that can sometimes go at a pace that is uh, slow right yeah. it happens at a pace that and, and that is the thing right now this this is a challenge which you know in some ways is exciting that we need to figure this out um not in a hundred years not in 50 years but in the next 30 years over mm -hmm. and you know, people coming out of school now, this is your, this could be your career. Yeah, And it definitely. could be a very fulfilling career because you mm -hmm. do something you're passionate about and that is really important. And, um, you know, we'll hopefully see us through to a point where we can look back and say, yeah, we did achieve it. Um, it wasn't pretty because if you really <laughs> look back, it's like, well, we should have probably started thinking about some of these issues sooner. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, hindsight's 2020, but, you know, some of this stuff we should have, as, 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 as a globe, as a human race, been dealing with, you know, probably 20, 20 or 30 years earlier when we started realizing what was going on. Yeah, definitely. Um, but that's, that's hindsight. This is the here and now. So I, I would say for the here and now, this is this is an arena mm -hmm. that is part of the, you know, again, carbon capture isn't the only aspect of it. There's so many other things. And, and a lot of geoscientists will be involved in those other things too, which involve you know, alternate energy sources where they also need geoscientists to figure it out either because of materials that are needed or places where you either put infrastructure that requires a subsurface understanding. So I think, you know, geoscientists will be needed across and then, you know, specific to our conversation on CCCUS, I think, you know, people that are, you know, based in analysis, understand how to deal with subsurface and evaluate that are, are going to, you know, that's going to be... Um, I think it's going to be a really fulfilling career to a lot of people that if you're passionate about it, you'll, you'll do something that is important to, you know, you, your family, the people and the planet, you yeah. know, sounds a bit dorky, but, um, <laughs> you know, I, 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 that is the case. And so I feel positive that we can do it. And I'm, 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 I'm also slightly optimistic that we will, because mm -hmm. I, you know, I still have faith in, in the human race as a whole in that, um, but to me, the key is that we, we need to all be able to listen to each other. And I think you made a comment earlier. It's like, I think that the best organizations and the best places is where people accept that diversity of opinion and perspective. That yeah. You don't exclude people just because you feel that they're affiliated. With, I think you need to embrace people that come in with different perspectives and mm -hmm. backgrounds. Um, because that's usually when you, you come up with the best solutions because you get input from different things and you, you build the best, mm -hmm. you build, build the best, you know, hybrid thing as opposed to, well, here's the one thing that somebody said and we haven't asked anybody else. It's like, might be a good idea, but you probably come up with a better idea if you, you get a few more perspectives in there. So mm -hmm. that, that's probably the, uh, yeah, the, the key on the, on the human side of, of, uh, of that question. Yeah, no, that's great. Thank you so much, Renee, for being here. It was really great talking to you. Um, you had so many great things to say. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that are listening to this that will be touched by that and just know that you, I know that you definitely um, have helped people. So thank you for that. Yeah, no, again, I, it, was, it was absolutely my pleasure, uh, Michelle. Like, you know, like you said, it's like, you know, we, we, we get connected for your mutual acquaintance and then as far as i'm concerned if people if people want, want to drop me a line or anything mm -hmm. you're always welcome and i will always um people that are enthusiastic about a subject matter you know we're all busy we all have our own lives but i will i will always um try to help you light that flame and you know the the least i can do is, is offer up you know a, a response to an email <laughs> and, and maybe a conversation uh, or pointing you to other you know because i'm 
you know, I'm, I'm one of this community and there's, you know, like yourself, Michelle, and, and now there's so many people out there that are, are going to be really valuable parts of your, um, of that community that will, you know, that will help you have, you know, a meaningful career, a fun career. And, you know, and it, it's always reciprocal, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, um, so that was the only thing I would say. Feel free to, for people, they, they can reach out to me. Um, I might not respond straight away, but I will always respond to a, a message, whether it's an email or a, a LinkedIn message or, or a Facebook, um, you know, I'm, I'm a, you can reach me through some of the social media. Um, again, I don't check it every day, but I mm -hmm. check it fairly frequently. So, um, cool. That's yeah. awesome. Thank you so much. I will talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Have a good day, Michelle. Yeah, you too. I Bye.